Happy National Mental Health Awareness Month, everybody. This is Sylvia Brown doing my PSA to assist in bringing awareness to this topic. If you are experiencing any emotional distress that impairs you in your life, that affects relationships, work, school, your overall functioning, you can contact the Mental Health National Hotline at 866-903-3787. If you're experiencing a crisis, you can text BRAVE to the crisis hotline 741-741. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, you can contact National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Hey, everybody. Tyree here. Tyree and Kevin with uh, Before I Forget, say hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. We are killing it with season two because we have a pretty incredible guest, folks. So I'm going to tell you guys a little story about some of the things he's done uh, in his military career because he's also was in the military and he had a bit of an epiphany when he was on uh, on on deployment to Afghanistan and he ran into something pretty incredible that's going to help out a lot of people. And I, I cannot be more happy to have uh mr gage on our show today how you doing sir Uh, i'm doing good i'm doing very well thank you for having me on guys all right so um what we like to do on our show is we ask a couple basic questions nothing too crazy but it kind of paints the picture of who you are as a person and how this all ties together kevin and i are both combat veterans i was also lapd for a a short no not a short uh, about a decade uh, Kevin is still uh, in the reserves as a drill sergeant. Sure am. Yep. We all can more or less center our careers on 9-11. So, Mr. Gage, Doc Gage, what were you doing on 9-11? <clears throat> wow, by 9-11. I mean, it's interesting, right? You ask your parents where they were when JFK got killed, and they'll tell you right away. Yeah. Or where, where were you? My generation, early my generation, where were you when the space shuttle went down, right? And they'll tell you, you know, now it's, you know, when, when that happened. Um, and I was a firefighter at the time. I was a professional firefighter in Dearborn, Michigan. Um, and I was at Station 4 that morning when we call, got called into the kitchen to take a look at the TV and see what's going on. Mm. So... As a firefighter, during that whole thing, you kind of have a that feeling that, hey, you know what these guys are going into and it's not looking good. Uh, you, you have a lot more sense of uh, understanding than some of us in the civilian side would. Personally, I was in basic training when 9-11 happened. Kevin was uh, on his way out of basic training. Yeah, I graduated uh, a couple of days later. Yeah, so you have a very... I can imagine that. Yeah, it was it was different. <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember, yeah, I remember I remember the drill sergeants being like, "Well, I hope you all fucking paid attention because uh, it looks like we're going to war." <laughs> yeah, what? And I'm sitting here yeah. thinking Michael Bay hooked up some crazy sci-fi stuff for us to hit and you know really motivate us in the basic training. But now this was real war, real world shit going on, and it just started. And uh, again, you, you were, were in a, you were in a different boat though, right? Because you were already out there working as a professional um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an already selfless job, you know, saving other people and helping other people. Um, 
that kind of directly relates to, you know, one of the big first responders during 9-11 in New York. I mean, where, where you, you said, where, where were you doing the firefighter business at? Yeah, I was, <clears throat> I was, and this is post-military, so I already did my four years. I was, I was actually a SF medic um, at First Recon uh, Camp Pendleton in California, and I was already six months in Kuwait. Um, so when I took the job in Dearborn, um, I actually had an opportunity to work in different fire departments at the same time, but I chose Dearborn because of my connection to the Middle East, because of Kuwait and my and that. So I, I did that. So when Dearborn, and so if anybody doesn't know, Dearborn, Michigan is where Henry Ford is. Okay, um, and that's where your Ford is built, and also that is one of the largest Arabic pop, Middle Middle Eastern Arabic populations per capita outside of the Middle East. Really? I did not so, know that. Yeah, look into it. So that's the reason why I chose to work there in the first place, because I had a connection. Um, and so, um, and I took care of a lot of people there. I had a lot of connections uh, in the community. It was really wonderful. Um, and uh, so when 9-11 happened, um, I had a lot of, I mean, my emotions were so mixed. You know, we were being attacked from, you know, apparently the Middle East. And in the same sense, I'm sitting in Dearborn. Um, and, you know, of course we, you know, we had an anthrax scare at, during that time. After that happened, we had FBI coming through and talking to us, um, and, and filling us in on certain things. So, um, tensions were high and my emotions that were, um, extremely mixed and very diverse. Oh yeah. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. What made you join the military? What, what, was there something in life that changed that made you want to enlist and, uh, join the uh the brotherhood of the uh the green weenie more or less yeah yeah the brotherhood right <laughs> yeah sebastian younger wrote uh, as a great journalist and talked about the brotherhood right in his ted talk and talked about how we miss the brotherhood because it's all about why we miss war it's it's the brotherhood's connection it's a different thinking you can't find it anywhere else but um you know, what, what was the question? What was my connection to, uh, what, what, to, what made you join in the first place? Yeah. yeah. yeah the, it, it's, it's an interesting story. It's actually in my book because I wrote a book when I got, when I left, when I got out of, um, when I left Afghanistan. Um, but, uh, when, uh, I was homeless at 18, I had a very difficult childhood. My PTSD started early. Um, and my Father left when I was eight. My mother was married seven times total. Every father was more drunk than the last. Every opportunity was worse than the last. Um, I never went to the same school more than one year. Um, And by the time I was 18, I was out of school, not graduating and living and homeless. And, um, uh, and through some really horrible moments, which is in my book, I, I describe this in my book. Um, I ended up, um, getting my GED and, uh, finding it, you know, because I had no other opportunity and no other way to, to go, you know, uh, in that time of my life. And, uh, and this is in San Diego. I grew up in San, mostly in San Diego, California. I'm in that area in Southern California. So, um, <clears throat> but when I decided to join the military, because I, I, I thought that if I, I needed, it wasn't about that. I just needed, yeah, I was smart enough to know that I, it wasn't that I just needed a place to go. Mm-hmm. But I needed um, I needed uh, direction, and I needed responsibility, and I needed someone to just tell me what to do. 
you know, for a change, you know, instead of me living on my own and trying to figure shit out for myself at 17, 18 years old. So I knew that and I was smart enough to understand that. So I got my GED and I excelled in that and I, and I decided, and I walked in and went to one of those recruiting offices where it's all four doors, right? You know, army, Navy, air force, Marines. Oh yeah. And I walked into one of those and I, and I, I was literally so open that I thought no matter who the first person that talks to me, that's where I'm going. And that, that's how, that's how I didn't care where I was going to go because that's how, that's how much I needed direction. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the air force guy on <clears throat> decided to walk past me and, uh, and, and I'll note that <laughs> for, for, <laughs> for, for, for private reasons. But, um, but the, but the Navy guy walked up to me and said, Hey, how you doing? You know, what's going on? I said, Hey man, I just, I'm looking for some, 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 some opportunity. And so he, they, they, he, I came to his office. We talked for a while. He said, Hey, you want to take a test? And I took that, that ASVAB test and it came back and said, wow, man, you scored so high that, you know, we can give you two, two choices right now. So we can either go work on a nuclear sub in a nuclear sub uh, uh, operation, um, or you can go to the medical, uh, medical field. And I thought, wow, well, and so he said, Hey, if you, if you want to go and work on a nuclear sub, that's good. Um, he said, you know, if you, you know, so, and, and I actually stated this in my book, um, but and this is, I quote, but he said, Hey, you know, with, you know, usually, you know, uh, 50 guys are on a nuclear submarine and it's an awesome operation. You see a lot of cool things. And 50 guys go down and 25 couples come up. <laughs> but but if you go in the medical side, it's co-ed in the Navy. You know, you'll see a lot of females. You work in different operating you know, up different fields, and you have a lot of opportunities for this and that. And I thought, this guy might be trying to direct me in a certain direction, you know, or maybe this is what my life is trying to tell me. But I said, okay, I'll take the medical field. Yeah, well, those, and that's those where, are the and, signs. And that was the beginning of my medical, uh, my medical career. In the Navy. Well, yeah, everywhere. I mean, even after yeah. that, because I became a paramedic, a firefighter, and yeah. Right. All right. Uh, so where did you go to basic for that? I went to Oak I went to the Oakland Naval Academy in Illinois. Um, and it was I, I left California with shorts on in November <laughs> and and got off the bus. This is a true story, got off the bus with shorts on in in snow. Oh yeah, and my CO yeah. started. I was the first person he started screaming at me as soon as I got off the bus. How can you wear shorts to Illinois? <laughs> He's like, oh my god, and it went kind of went from there. But I, I did my basic training there, and then when I passed that, then I went to A school um, in Illinois also, and I got my uh, my hospital corpsman from there, and then uh, I went to Oakland Naval uh, Oakland Hospital in uh um in uh um, in oakland bay right in the from uh, san francisco mm-hmm. and i went and did uh my first year there to uh to get into the different areas in the hospital um you know in uh pediatrics um you know uh, uh <clears throat> um surgery post-surgery cardiac um you know ekg stuff you know things like that even lab and but but of course i, I excelled in the er i excelled at trauma i was always good with critical thinking and, uh, and when, you know, when the shit hits a fan, you know, I was that person that was always good at just like, okay, what's step A, what's step B, what do we have to do? You know, you know, okay, this didn't work. What do we do next? You know, and I was good at that. And so I kind of took a direction in trauma. Nice. That's, that's a, it's actually, um, uh, what was I going to say? 
I just lost my train of thought completely. <laughs> no, but uh, the, the the whole medical field, I think, um, is uh, so my mom was a she was a nurse for for geez twenty five years. She had her BSN, and uh, you know just, just coming home from the hospital and the stories that she'd have. I mean, obviously, you know, she'd keep the more uh, sensitive details to herself, but um, but yeah, no, I mean, just just insane what 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 they had to deal with what they had to do with you know the kind of she said she liked to work in the er primarily because it kept her like her mind sharp and she was really good at her job so um but uh just just some of that stuff i mean don't be wrong i I like medical stuff i really do and i think everybody should have at least a very basic level or basic understanding of 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 first aid or you know the first responder type stuff but good Lord, I mean, the stuff that like you guys have to have to know and have to be able to do and like how quickly you have to do it. We, you know, Tyree and I saw that firsthand with our, with our doc, um, when we were deployed and just his, his immediate response and is able to just tune everything out and just go straight to like, this is what I need to do to make this situation better. Um, highly commendable, man. Like, like he, that's the one, that's one person that nobody's allowed to hate on his doc. Yeah, I mean, you respect to your mom. I mean, I, I, people have asked me in my life in, in different podcasts, you know, who do you who do you see as heroes? And there are different heroes in my life, and one of them are first responders and nurses and firefighters and police. You know, I mean, they they really do a job that, that you don't really understand. And, right. and 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 especially medics. I mean, you know, paramedics. I mean, medics. I mean, when they're on the scene, they're the first ones to see the worst part of that what's going on oh yeah by the time they get them to the hospital they're already like packaged up and put together a little bit you know to get them you know to to at least alive enough to get them to the hospital so think about what the medics go through you know before they even get all through that and and Mm -hmm. then to to stay on top of your credentials and your training and everything else it's it's such a huge job and a huge um responsibility that i don't think there's enough respect given to people like that so absolutely that's why i have a huge uh connection to our first responders big time yeah hmm. uh, you know i actually what was i gonna say the other day not the other day but like a week two weeks ago i guess it was i was coming home from my uh sister's house and uh there was an accident on the road actually and this is why this is why i say that i think everybody needs to have like a basic understanding of, of first aid um there's an accident right in the, uh, on the road like right in front of me right so we all pull over and one van is just like looks totaled you know airbags are all deployed van came to a, a kind of a slow stop in the middle of the interstate so we get out and kind of control traffic a little bit to, so that we're you know we can at least go assess the situation um safely and you know get up there and i'm the first person to the van um and all i have really is formal training is like you know cls but i think it's probably enough and cpr right um but you know i think it's enough to be able to like you know if this guy or you know girl or people in the, in the vehicle are, are are maimed or you know um at least in on the, that, that teetering point or whatever i feel like i know just enough to be able to like you know control bleeding or do this or do that or whatever but um you really never know like i, I was definitely not expecting to be in this situation on the way home um and i was um and i think that happens to a lot of people all the time all over the place um so yeah, like I, that's, that's kind of what I would say. Like, I, I think everybody needs to have a, a, a very, at the very base, you know, like minimum of the a basic understanding of, of like proper first aid, you know? Yeah. Uh, you, you said it on spot. I mean, you, I wish I could market that. You said, you know, I wish I knew just enough. Right. Yeah. And there, and, and there's so many situations <laughs> where I've known people that said just that 
if I if I knew just enough, I could have done this. I could have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, dude, I've, I've been in medical over 25 years. You know, so the things that I've seen and, and the, mm-hmm. and the, you know, I worked in ERs, I've worked in different ERs as a, as a, as a trauma medic, as, but, you know, and because I'm also a hazmat firefighter. So, you know, so I've worked in different ERs and Detroit receiving. I worked in Detroit, you know, I worked as a Detroit paramedic for almost four years. You know, so think about working as in mid Detroit, you know, in some right. of the hardest parts of that and, and different ERs in Detroit receiving the Detroit burn center and the Ann Arbor um, receiving. And so I've done my time and I know on the road and in the ERs and then through, and through the hospital. So I've seen it all, you know, so when somebody says, I wish I knew just enough, it's like, no, that, that, that's a, that's a, that's a horrible regret. So oh, yeah. I totally support you when you say that you, people should know more then, then do it. You know, CPR, it's weird. It kind of changes, you know, every few years, but right. the basics are the same. And in between that and, and pediatrics choking and, and all that, I mean, it's basic, but you know, if you have that, at least you could say, I, I knew just enough to, mm-hmm. to, to, to do just enough. Well, I think part of that is, you know, sure. Like, okay. So like maybe somebody's unconscious and they might, you know, like they might have some, some, some deep arterial bleeding, and a lot of people can't handle just even the sight of that or thought of it. Um, so I think, you know, having some way to, to train folks on, you know, like what I mean, a tourniquet is like one of the most simple things to throw on um, and will absolutely save a life. Um, and uh, but, you know, if you can't get past that, the the, the bleeding and the, the big wound and all that stuff, I mean, like that's that's what we call psychogenic psychogenic shock. So yeah. when somebody sees or, or is involved with something that, that, that causes them not to, to react in a normal way, mm-hmm. that's psychogenic shock. And so people can't react in that way. And so that's what makes the difference between the people that can run into a burning building, you know, or run into, you know, gunfire and who can't, mm-hmm. right? And so, and, and you can't train that. That just makes, that's part of what makes us different. And that's mm-hmm. okay because we're a mixed crowd, but. There's, if there's enough crowd, hopefully, you know, there's someone there like me or you that can, you know, take, take control. Right. You know, but, uh, but that's why we, you know, people like me have maybe I accidentally found this journey, but I think that, you know, and if you believe in divine intervention or, you know, or, you know, what, what, you know, luck, um, mm-hmm. I got into a medical that career, um, for the right reasons, because I have an empathy that goes way deeper than I could, you know, even, you know, understand. Yeah, yeah, it's that's an incredible job to a uh, career to have. Uh, as a first responder, the first time I've seen something really traumatic pulling up to a to a scene as a cop. Um, after all my years as infantry and doing all that kind of stuff and deployments, I was still a bit at shock at what had happened. And I, when when the uh, medics showed up and they start working on the individuals that were involved in this. I'm like, man, it reminded me of being deployed again because they showed right up and they got right to it. There was no no pause in, in anything. I, I was just a fly on the wall while they are doing their thing and and always wanted to con- or thank those dudes for what they did for a rookie on his first night. Um, it's it's kind of swooping in and taking over. It, man, <clears throat> I'm telling you. Uh, hats off to to any any person who could step into that. Yeah, it's easy to step into. You can be down to fight and all that kind of stuff, and everyone's hoo ha ready to go. But <laughs> once bodies start hitting the floor and it's on your team, 
it changes everything. And there's some things that you will remember for the rest of your life that will affect you forever from uh, an event that you can see, uh, you know, on a typical Friday night working LAPD. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you know, it's something, it's a kind of a private joke with medics, you know, it's like we say, you know, Hey, if we show up on scene and there are no cops laying on the floor, you know, mm-hmm. then it's okay to walk into them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So sometimes right. when, when police are on scene first, you know, and you know, like say there's a silent deadly gas, you know, and there's no, Hey, there's no cops laying down on the ground or nobody's gotten shot. Then okay. Then it's okay for us to go in. But there are moments when medics go in, we're the first one on scene. There's actually a lot of times when medics are the first one on scene and we go in without police, mm-hmm. without security, without anything, because we know somebody needs help. Yeah. And for some reason that part of us takes over and that has done probably put me in a lot more bad situations than I can even count. Um, but you probably, you guys understand what I'm saying. Okay. And uh, so as a first responders, you know, that's why we have such a connection. It's just in that general because of that. So, uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's tight, man. It really is. Yeah. yeah. So you spoke about a journey. Um, you were deployed a few times while you're in the military. Um, <clears throat> Explain to us this particular deployment that sets you on this journey. Yeah, the um, actually, it's um, it's actually a little different than what you understand. Um, I was actually in the military. Um, you know, I was homeless. I went into the military. Then I, after the military, I got out, and I actually I got out in '94. You know, they actually offered me a huge uh, reenlistment bonus. I mean, huge at the time. Um, you know, because you couldn't find SF medics you know, very often. Right. But I went into the military because I wanted to expand my life. And I didn't think that the military, even though the military saved my life and it's a reason why I went back to that type of living and we'll get that into a minute. Um, uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was, it was, there was still a calling for me to, to, to do more than just the military. Mm-hmm. So I got accepted to the university of Michigan, uh, for their, for their medical program and uh, through the VA. Uh, and uh, so I moved to Michigan to go to the military, to go to school for that and to be maybe a doctor someday. And so I went into that and, um, but I grew up as a, on the beach mostly, right. Surfing and, and all that, you know, and, and, and living a lot of sand that I went to the military camp, Navy, Camp Pendleton, all California, saw a lot more sand <laughs> and then went to Kuwait for six months and saw more sand, you know, and more water <laughs> and more ocean. And then, uh, you know, and so, you know, by the time I got, by the time my four years were up and they offered me a reenlistment, I said, you know what, I'm ready to get out. And so I, I got out and I got accepted to the university of Michigan into their doctoral program. And so I moved there. Um, and, um, but I'm, so I'm sitting in these classroom, uh, with all this experience and all this background, you know, and war and, you know, everything else and all these younger kids sitting next to me and, you know, and I'm just like, and I'm looking up in these fluorescent lights and I'm in this little room and this person's telling me how I'm going to spend so much time, you know, learning this, learning that. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I was going crazy. And I said, I can't do it. Oh man. I know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can definitely relate to that. You put a rabbit animal in a box, dude. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, I'm a type, I could, I'm a type AAA personality. So I couldn't do it. So I quit. And so, but a buddy of mine said, listen, man, you got a medical background. 
you know, you know, stay with it. So we talked and, and he gave me some good advice. I says, you know, they're medics, you know, paramedics are outside, you know, they, they are outside, they're in their trucks or do this, they do that, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're picking up people and they're doing kind of what you do. And so I said, hey, you know what, that's exactly what I want to do because I have a connection with, with, because of the background that I have with, with, um, with, you know, the, the crappy growing up that I had, um, it, I have a connection with helping people and making sure that they're okay. You know, mm-hmm. so, so I said, yeah, that's great. So I went and got my medic. So I, you know, even though I, everything I knew, everything I knew, I was doing minor, minor surgery in the field as a medic. Mm-hmm. And I had to go back to basic training because I couldn't just, I couldn't test out as a paramedic in Michigan because that's where I lived. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to go back to school from the very beginning and learn, you know, the very basic stuff and go all the way back up to paramedic again in two years. So I spent two years and got my medic uh, degree and became a paramedic and then went into work into um, the private industry um, and then into the, um, uh, you know, like the Detroit EMS and certain cities. Uh, and it was great. I mean, I learned so much. Uh, and then my, my career kind of ventured from there. And then I did that for a bunch of years and then I, advanced into uh i got my second uh uh, degree and i got my fire science degree and i went and um and then that's when i got into the dearborn fire department in 2000 and i worked in the dearborn fire department from 2000 to 2005 that is a while working out there in, in in dearborn i know it's rough uh it was uh you know we're we bordered detroit and, um, you know, and we have, you know, a very diverse population and a very diverse department. And it was a, a, a and again, you know, like you like you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, you know, you have a, a lot of career, you know, behind you. Well, so do I. And so, you know, that's where kind of where I went to is, um, you know, doing that for five years and working right on the border of Detroit and Dearborn, you know, with, with such a, a huge Arabic uh, Middle Eastern population. Um, it was a huge understanding um, of uh, culture and um, and and patience and and, and and a real understanding of of how to um, a different perspective on on life and on um, on how people view life um, even more than what I learned in the military you know and even more what I learned in Kuwait you know was was, was in Durban. so. Um, even, and so that those five years of being a professional firefighter really um, added a huge, um, like a, a just a, 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 a real understanding of, of who I am and what I want to do, what I wanted to do with my life. Um, but that's when 9-11 happened. And that changed uh, a little bit of everything for you. It, well, it changed a little bit of everything for everyone, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and... You know, and so 9-11 happened, you know, and I, when 9-11 happened, I was married. I was in my first marriage, and I had a daughter. My daughter was married, uh, uh, born in 02, and 9-11 happened, and I was at Station 4 in Dearborn, and they called us into the kitchen and said, hey, guys, you got to see what's going on on TV, and we went in there and watched the TV for a few hours, and we're just glued like most people and trying to understand what's going on, you know, and of course with my military background, my connection to the Middle East, being in Dearborn, um, again, mixed emotions, mixed understanding. Uh, you know, we, we, we were trying to really, you know, compress and, 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 and digest really what the hell is happening. 
Um, and uh, I was mad and angry and pissed off and hurt and depressed um, all at the same time. You know, and, you know, and I had, you know, uh, buddies in the, in the fire department who were Arabic, um, Middle Eastern that, uh, that was very, very good friends with, um, played hockey with and stuff that, uh, um, that we were still trying to understand this together. So, you know, so I went through, you know, some time with that and trying to understand that and that, and that, that type of surrounding and that type of environment. And, um, and again, it was very uh, different. So, um, and as time went on, um, I ended up leaving the fire department because I wanted to, um, <clears throat> a part of me wanted to go back to the military and support our country, support our brothers and sisters who over there that, who needed medics, you know, because I know what war is like. I understood what, you know, what, who needs a medic. And, and I knew that I was a good medic. And so, so I needed it. And, and so I ended up, um, yeah, so there was a journey that, that started from there and, um, and that's kind of the next chapter of, 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 you know, of my book in a way. You wrote a book and, uh, you mentioned it a few <laughs> times and, uh, I would strongly suggest uh, anyone who has access to any kind of internet source, go ahead and try to find, uh, the strains of war, a true story and still growing by R. gauge Amsler. Uh, that's the, uh, our guest full name here. Um, uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit more about, this journey and uh, your discovery of cannabis. Yeah. So after when nine 11 happened, I was a firefighter still. Right. Um, and I had this urge to go back into the military and I could, you know, I was a little too old um, and, you know, too, you know, too far away from the military at the time. So, but there were contracting organizations that were starting up, you know, such as Blackwater and triple canopy and sock and global in- industries, global integrated securities. And um, and there were only three organizations that, were, that had a DOS clearance, meaning there were only three organizations that the Department of State worked with that you could be a contractor with and be a high-threat security contractor. So as a special forces medic, a friend of mine contacted me from Blackwater and said, hey, man, you know, this this whole 9-11 thing happened. We're, we're going into Iraq. You know, we're going to, you know, kick some butt, whatever. And they were paying some big time money for medics like you to be there. And I thought, and there was a moment in my life, and it's very hard to explain, um, but there's a moment in my life where um, on my uh, personal side, things were kind of falling apart. Um, and, um, And there were moments in the fire department that I wasn't comfortable with. And I saw this as an opportunity to not only, um, support our country and support our military and support our troops but it was also an opportunity for me to um find that connection again because the fire department in in where i was at there was there wasn't that camaraderie and that brotherhood that you would that you would think that would be there there wasn't that wasn't that at all it was very political very just like a normal job and and i thought that's what was there and because of that it really put a bad taste in my mouth. And so just like when the military saved me from being homeless, um, the military saved me again from a very horrible job. Mm. And I went back into not only the military, but I went, so I, I, it took me a year to get my, um, so I worked with uh, this organization that took me a year to get my secret security clearance. And almost to the day I got my secret security clearance and, um, 
And I was about to go work for Blackwater. And they, and that's when the Fallujah thing happened, where those guys got uh, got hooked up, those Blackwater guys got hooked up, and that SEAL guy or whatever got hooked up. I forget his name, but um, got hit up in uh, in uh, Ramadi. Yeah. Or no, Fallujah. Fallujah. That's right, Fallujah. And then they got pulled out of the cars, got dragged, hung up on the bridge. Yeah. And that they put that on Dateline. And so two weeks before I was supposed to go work in Blackwater, they put that on Dateline and me and my wife were watching. And she says, you're not going to go do that. That's not what you're going to go do. You know, they show that on Dateline. I'm like, all right, cool. So I told her, I says, you know what? No, okay. And so I called another organization called Triple Canopy and they did the exact same thing, but um, it was under kind of a different way of saying it. So I said, you know, I'm going to go work for Triple Canopy instead. And I ended up going to, uh, to um, uh, uh, work for Triple Canopy. And I dropped boots on the ground in 2005 in Basra in October. And the day I dropped boots, um, I dropped boots. They picked me up in a golf cart, grabbed my bags, took me to the front of the embassy in Basra, the USA. And so in Basra, Iraq, there's, there's, this was the compound that we built. Um, and that was where the, uh, Saddam had his palace and then um, his two sons. And so there's three palaces in a row. And so Basra, Iraq was the, in all three palaces. And that was the U.S. Embassy compound um, uh, for the U.S. pretty much. And so that's where I landed boots first. And when I landed, they picked me up, took me to the front of our U.S. Embassy, and they were having a, um, a memorial for the medic and the three guys that were killed four days before I showed up. And that was the position that was taking over. Damn. And so I got off the golf cart, grabbed my bags, stood in in or stood in front of the US, outside of the embassy where they were having this 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 um, memorial ceremony, and listened to the entire thing for for probably about forty minutes, and thinking to myself, "What the hell did I get myself into?" Yeah, that's a hell of a first day, right? <laughs> Roger that. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you when you got over there that first time, like how how long was that uh, that job for? Like, I mean, what was I did that uh, in Iraq in Basra. I did that for four years, um, and and I did a couple years in Basra, probably about two and a half years in Basra, and um, you know, it did. Um, and so I worked with the Department of State and Department of Defense under um, as a uh, it's called WIPS, which is Worldwide Personal Protection Special Securities. Um, and so I did high threat VIP personal protection for Department of State personnel, VIP, Pentagon, you know, things like that. And uh, so we did a lot of cool stuff, stuff I, I'm not going to talk about, but we did a lot of cool stuff. And I did that for four years in Iraq, all through you know, anywhere between Basra, which on a good day, you can see I ran, um, you know, because we were right on the Shia River. Um, and all the way through up north through Baghdad and again through Tikrit and then all the way up through Mosul. You know, we did operations all the way up through there. And I did that for four years. Damn. And we did a year. What? what we did a year. A year yeah, on the sure. dot almost. And uh, yeah. I couldn't imagine being there for four years, hammering it out, man. Yeah, just a, just a year. As a medic, yeah. <sighs> yeah. As the shit I've seen, the stuff I've been through, the people I've been through and and, and not, I wasn't just taking care of, of other contractors. I was taking care of military. I was taking care of civilians. You know, I had, you know, I was taking care of, uh, we had, you know, third country nationals as our security force. I was taking care of them, you know, so I was doing first aid, you know, inside and outside the wire. 
So you've, yeah, you've seen life and role of the medic. Yeah, you've seen a few lifetimes of things out there in four years. <clears throat> well, just that four years. And then, <laughs> and then, so I came home, you know, and I wanted to take a break, right? And so I came home back to Michigan, and this was around 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. And that's when Michigan went legal medicinally for cannabis. And I'm sitting home with all this PTSD. And we just went legal. Mm-hmm. And I'm a medic. So what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> you know, so. I think I see where this is going. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, right. So, you know, and, and not only that, but my background, man, I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, think about it, I'm a type A. I'm a special force medic. I'm a type A personality. So I, I, whenever you come to a road, you know, that's forked, the more rugged one, that's the one I'm going to take every right. time. So, you know, so for me, you know, when I came home, um, I tried to make a living. Yeah. Um, you know, Michigan, not only did we go legal, but we also introduced the, um, the Hollywood film industry. And so we had, so what, and what that means is that Michigan gave the, in the Hollywood industry a tax-free innovation. So they would come there and they can do all their films for tax-free. And that happens all over the country. I, I had to learn about that. Mm-hmm. And so a friend of mine was a, became a medic on set. And one day he said, hey, you want to be a medic on one of our sets? I can pay you some money to do it. And I said, sure. So I took his place, became a medic on set, and loved it. And so I started doing all the set medic stuff and everything else. And so I'm building this business. But at the same time, a friend of mine, um, through uh, my second wife at the time, um, met a uh, – her friend was uh, – uh, his um, brother – grew cannabis in 2008, 2009. And he said, Hey, he's grown cannabis. He's has patients. He's doing it the right way. He's, t- you know, he's, he's uh, getting a license and all this. And so I'm like, license, like, what's this all about? Like what there's rules and regulations. Like, and he's like, yeah, you can make a billion dollars in your basement with cannabis. And I'm like, what, what, what is, what's this all about? <laughs> so I'm like, so of course I'm interested. Right. And so I, I jumped into it and I started to read it and he said, listen, man, if whatever you're going to do, read Jorge Cervantes' um, Marijuana Bible. And so I, I ordered it on Amazon, got it, and I read it three times in like two weeks. And I was like, holy shit. And then I started to, then I started to become a sponge and started to learn everything I could about the history of cannabis. What happened? Where did it come from? Why was it made illegal? What, why was it taken from us? You know, and everything. And then I started to wake up and I realized, holy cow, wow, what an epiphany. And, and so I said, as a medic too, you know, and, and so I was thinking, holy cow. So think about everything I know. I mean, I have this medical terminology and this understanding and patience and everything else. So I said, what if I can grow cannabis and have patients and take care of them? And actually do the right thing for them and make a living at it. Holy cow, what a great what what's that's who would not want to do that, you know, in my position. So that's what I did. So I learned everything I could, how to grow, just like reading Jorge's book. Um and I decided to get patience and I did, um, through through different friends and stuff like that. And because in Michigan you can have yourself and five other patients. At, and 12 plants a patient. So you can have six patients and 72 plants. Hmm. Oh, know, okay. Right? 
Oh, okay. I know, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Legally, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's what we were doing in the beginning. And so I decided, wow. So I got patience and, and I started, but what I did, I did it as medical. I kept, I kept medical records on them. I took vital signs. I had their medical history. I talked to them about how did this strain work for you? What else worked for you? What do you do that works? What do you do that not works? You know? And so I started to really find a value in what cannabis did for them and where it was in a non-value. And I started to, 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 to separate that. And I started to really take care of my patients and to try to help focus them on the right medicine, even really without really understanding what a Gangier sommelier really is. And that's what a Gangier sommelier does, right? They guide patients and they co- coach patients in the, in the direction of the right medicine. And, but I was doing that in 2008. And so, and, and, and I loved it. But the business I was trying to do in the Hollywood thing fell apart. Because uh, Michigan canceled everything, and when they did that, they took the tax incentive away, and so the can of, it, it dried up, and so the business I was trying to build went away, and the business in the cannabis business I was trying to do suffered because of that, and so I I was like, oh my god, what am I going to do? Well, Af- you know, Afghanistan was kicking up, and they needed contractors, and they needed medics, so I signed up again, and I went to Afghanistan. For another four years. Oh, four more years. Four more years. But with all this cannabis knowledge. So, so a lot of what I'm hearing is, is like, I mean, this is like perfect timing for a lot, like for every single thing, for every single event leading up to every other event that followed it. It's like perfect timing because that, that, that troop surge in 2009 to Iraq and Afghanistan I mean, that happened like right after the Hollywood thing dries up in Michigan, but you're already like, you're already working in this other field involved, you know, involving cannabis. You know what I mean? If, I mean, going all the way back to like when, when you first came in or, you know, and, 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 and uh, when you, when you, the job you chose and, and then when you got out and what you chose to do after that and then how long you did that for, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's very, it's very perfect timing all the way around. All um, the dominoes fell right into place. <clears throat> Yeah, I kind of I kind of pick up on stuff like that. And I think it's really, 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 really interesting to to note that stuff. Or I've have just extreme ADHD and I can't focus <laughs> on one thing, right? And and that's probably something I've realized in my life because I cannot have a single focus. Um, I can't, you know. I, I find because I have such passion in different things that I have a different focus in different things. But what's interesting is that I like to kind of mention is that it kind of there's there's still kind of a, a single point for a, a true North that it all goes to. And it really mm-hmm. seems to all point to cannabis and, 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 and taking care of people. Yeah. Taking care of people. Afghanistan. Like how, how, how does, how does your time in Afghanistan? Um, so I, feel, I feel like this is what we're going with is like, how does that tie into, to all of this now? So I go to Afghanistan and because of my background and because of, of everything else and what I've done already in Iraq, they're like, holy cow, you can really do something cool. So they, they handpicked me, the Pentagon handpicked me to be in a four-man team to work with the, for the Army with the, uh, on, a, on a four-man team only with the Army Corps of Engineers to help support building forward operating bases at the mouth of the Taliban Trail on the, on the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Damn. And, and so that's what I was chosen to do. And so I was the medic on that team. And so we lived on a very, very small base called KKG, which is, uh, you know, not too far from Sharana, but just enough towards the, um, towards Pakistan. And, um, 
And, uh, and we did that. I lived, I worked in different areas, you know, between Sharada and Gosney and, um, and KKG. Um, and we did a lot of operations through that area. We worked with different seal. We worked with a couple steel teams. We worked with some uh, different uh, operations team, uh, with some different CIA teams and, uh, and did a lot. You know, we did really a lot of operations. I think I can't even, it's too much to talk about, but, <laughs> but, um, so we got really used to going up in these mountains, going up and, and finding these different areas, these, these areas that they were planning out to build these forward operating bases. And we got so used to it that we got used to doing, you know, uh, land navigation and, you know, you know, getting an azimuth and all that. So, uh, instead of risking the Department of State and the U.S. the USAID guys' lives, we decided to say, "Hey, we know enough that we can let you stay behind, and we'll go do this ourselves." And so we started doing this ourselves, letting them stay behind, doing their job, right? Um, because we'd rather do their job and not risk their life, and that's what we did. That's what that's this kind of stuff contractors do over there. You know, a lot of people don't understand the contractors world. You know, we're all ex-military, we're all still military guys. You know, we're now contractors. We're still, we're just, we're doing a different type of job, but it's still the same thing. It's all in support of the uh, same operations. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's kind of what we did. And, um, and in, in, in 2012, so in November, 2012, we're going on grid. We're trying to find another, this, uh, this new spot. And it's uh, uh, the second new week of new November, 2012. And, um, and i and this is in my book. And, uh, and so we're trying to find this spot. We're off grid. We have no idea where we're at. We're at about 8,000 feet. And, and I'm going to say this for the, probably the, might be the first time on a podcast because I've done many of these, but we were up in an area called Sarhausa in the Paktika province at 8,000 feet. And we were trying to find this, this, this new place and we couldn't figure it out. We couldn't find it for shit. It's all rocky and, and everything. I mean, if anybody's been to Afghanistan, you understand it that in that area and that type of place, which not many people have been, I'm sure. Um, it's it's a terrible place to grow anything. And I've done a lot of meetings with the Taliban. I've done a lot of meetings with you know different um, uh, leaders and um, uh, dis, uh, uh, village leaders, district leaders, governance leaders, things like that. So I know how things things are and how how things operate. And you don't grow much up here. And so we were um, off grid and my buddy Mike was took, was taken going to the bathroom <laughs> and, um, and he called me on his mic and said, Hey man, I'm, I, and this is after hanging out with this team for a couple of few years and talking about cannabis, like it's the world, right? Like, Oh my God, I grew cannabis and all oh, the weeds of shit and everything else, you know, and, and everything else. And, and I loved it, but, when, when, uh, and so when he saw this, uh, he called me on the mic. He said, Hey doc, you gotta, you gotta come up and see this. And so I, I said, okay, man. So we headed up there and, 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 and even before I could, and this is, you know, this is a little bit of snow on the ground. And we're at about 8,000 feet. Okay. And, and it's very surreal. Like you're on an Afghanistan Hindu Kush mountain, you know, at that height, looking at all the other mountains around you, mm-hmm. you know, so it's very surreal already. And, and so I walk up on it and I can almost smell it when I saw it, but I didn't really put it together. And when I saw it, I was like, whoa. And then I put it together. I was like, holy shit. And there's a bunch of little plants and they're probably about a foot, maybe a foot, barely a foot and a half tall. And I was like, that's the most bushiest weed I've ever seen in, in Afghanistan. Like in this, like I could just didn't make sense to me. 
And I was like, well, what is this? Why is this here? What's going on? And so I thought if they're, if they're cultivating this, this is true medicine. This truly has some sort of potential. Some, there's something here because this is tribal. This is more than, than this is more than I can even understand. And with all the knowledge that I had behind me and being a medic and knowing what this potential and what the medicinal potential is in this plant, I had this like Titanic Leonardo DiCaprio moment on the, on the uh, you know, standing in the front and I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, and I'm looking around at the, the mountains around me and, and, and this is around like zero 600 in the morning, you know, the sun's just coming up and I'm like, and it's very blue skies. And there's, like I said, I'm just like, Holy shit. So I called them to my buddy and I says, we're going to grab some of these. We're going to take them right now because they were dropping seeds. Oh, they were ready. And, and again, yeah, they were. It was the second week in November, 2012. And they were being, some women's cultivating some was, but they, it wasn't like a field like everybody thinks in Afghanistan like that. No, it was just like, just like maybe 14, 13 plants being grown on this rock up in the middle of nowhere. Like, and they were being trimmed, like somebody's taking care of them. So I'm like, you know what? So what I do is I took, I didn't take all of them. I took a bunch, but I took, I probably took almost half of them. But what I did was knowing how important these were. And I put this in my book also. Um, I asked my buddy to bring my other medic bag and I brought it up and I left it there. Okay. Because I wanted that, because I wanted whoever was there and making this medicine, I wanted them to know that I was thankful for that Mm -hmm. and that I wasn't taking it just to be a dick. Yeah. And so, and, and, and that was a moment I can't even remember it. Like I didn't even think about it. It was just, you know, I'm just, let's just do it. And so I did that. I grabbed what I could. I pulled them out of the ground. Thank God I had, you know, had some, some gloves, some gloves on. And I got them back to our base in KKG and I snuck cannabis plants onto the base <laughs> in Afghanistan. And my, my team leader is screaming at me like, dude, are you crazy? What the fuck are you doing? Are you nuts? Our whole, and by the time we got back, so we had to take this talent. So we had to take this, um, you know, this, uh, uh, the, the route that we take is, is a, a horrible route. So we get shot at every time. So by the time we get back and we're shot at, you know, it's like, he's like, oh my God, I hope this is worth it. You know, you're crazy for doing this. My team leader's like, you know, just get the, do whatever you got to do, get out of here. But, but, our, but by the time we got back, they, they thought out. And our trucks stunk so bad because <laughs> we were in these land cruisers. We we're in these like Toyota land cruisers. So, you know, these up Harbor land cruisers. So they stunk so bad. So they were like, dude, get the fuck out of here. So he took, so I went, I left and, um, my, and I, I took the two trucks and we went and aired them out. I took all the plants and I took them out and I took them into my hooch. And uh, my buddy took them, took the trucks to the other side and left the doors open so they can air out. And I'm sitting in my hooch, you know, in the middle of Afghanistan on a military base in 2012 with these, with these plants and these, these pure Hindu hash plants. I mean, just smell, just skunky, skunky. The loudest plants around. Loud. Oh man. And I just couldn't have, and think about it, by the time they, by the time they thawed, it was, it just, it it, it looked even more amazing. So I was like, holy, and again, with the cannabis knowledge that I had, uh, I was thinking, okay, I, I got to do something. What can I, what's my next stop? I just took these. <laughs> what do I do next? Um, and there are things that I, that I have done that I had, didn't put in my book that I can say that I've done. Um, and I'm going to keep it a secret still, but there are different things that I did to make sure that these, so, so they were dropping seeds, right? So what I did was I separated the males and the females again, knowing what I know. 
And I started and I took the female plants and I put them in a paper bag and I went and hit them somewhere really far on the side of base where nobody can find them. And then I took the male plant or the male plants that were dropping seeds. And I spent the next two weeks with tweezers pulling the seeds out and, and putting them and storing them again, knowing what I know, storing them in a dark glass container um, with some uh, silica packs and, and uh, in, in some paper towel and put them in my free, in my, my fridge, in my hooch <laughs> in uh, in a very small base up in the mountains in Afghanistan. <laughs> And nobody other than like your team knows that no. you have this stuff. No, that is it's awesome. Crazy. That is the definition of of keeping you know your lips sealed amongst the team, <laughs> man. That is so heavy. You know what? I got caught with alcohol when I was in in, in um, what was it, Samara? I dropped a bottle of liquor, and I thought I was gonna get my, my ass fucking hammered. And you're I running. You were dead. Yeah, I thought I was done. I thought it was a wrap. And we you're got, out here running a, a heavy duty operation <laughs> under the nose of everybody. That's awesome. Oh my god! That is yeah, incredible. no, trust me, dude. Contractors, we drink like fish over there, dude. We got we got liquor all the time, you know. And so we we drank with generals. We drank with a lot of military people. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying like uh, that's nothing compared to the operation that you're running there. I mean, that's oh, a I mean, lot that's of work, the, the two weeks right? of, yeah. of, you know, plucking those seeds out, hiding this, making sure nobody's trying to keep the, the smell around here is like rough. Yeah. Somebody's going to smell this shit at some well, point. Well, they were supporting, man. They they really understood because after talking about weed for like two years with these mm-hmm. guys and how much I loved it and how much what it did for me and all that, yeah. and I was going legal and that the future of cannabis is going to change the world and everything else that they're like, Holy shit, this guy's either insane or he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. But, but for some reason, when we found this and I brought it back and when my, when my, my team leader, Mike looked at me in the eye on that mountain and said, are you really going to fucking do this? Because you're risking our lives. You're risking all of our lives. You're risking everything to do this. And I said, you don't understand what I know about cannabis. If this is growing here and this tribe is growing it here up at 8,000 feet and, and they're putting this much effort into it, there's a fucking reason why they're doing this. Mm-hmm. They know more about medicine than we do. We are, we are so stupid when it comes to medicine because true pharmacology was stolen from us a long time ago. So for me, it's like this made a difference. And so I decided to risk every, I said, it's worth it, bro. And so the, my team put every every faith in me to do the right thing, and so they supported me. I brought it back. They got the, they cleared out everything, and then we decided to like to hide it and said, "Well, what's the next step?" What was the next step? Because I'm kind of I'm, I'm really <laughs> like I'm kind of like, like okay, well, so, without so giving how, us what? too much because I, I know that you don't want to give too much away about the book, but man, I'm all the way into it. I'm I'm it's crazy. I'm yeah, sold. Like, I'm sold. I want to know how it gets here. I'm standing up <laughs> listening. I'm standing up talking to you right now. You know <clears throat> when when we left Iraq, I remember we had to go through U.S. Customs and they were sitting there going through our like CD books looking for you know those burned copies of movies and stuff. I was like, no, this, this doesn't get to go back to America. I'm like, God damn it! Like <laughs> I paid three dollars for that. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, like, I mean, there's, yeah, it, there's, you know, there's no way that I would ever, you know, in, uh, divulge, you know, how I brought it back. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't ever want to say that. It'll probably come out someday exactly how it happened. Um, you know, I, but I, I do want to say that I did want to make sure that these seeds 
were worth it, were worth risking my life for. Mm-hmm. I mean, wouldn't you? I no. mean, I mean, just because you got them doesn't mean they're awesome. I mean, imagine if you got busted with them and then they try to grow them and they're all shit. These are crap seeds, you know. But you, right. you're gonna risk your life for, it, right? So, you know, so I'm like, well, well, how do I make sure these are good? So I procured. I got a lot. I got a lot. I got a lot out of these plants, and um, and enough anyway to to really make a difference. And so what I did was, you know, you remember those little curio cabinets you had in your rooms. Okay, well, you know, one side opened up and you can hang your stuff in it, and the other side was, you know, like big uh, drawers, you know, yeah. or something mm-hmm. in the your big rooms. metal ones. And yeah, and and so I had that, and so what I did was I um I, I opened up the back, I took a lamp that I had, a forty watt bulb, took it apart, hung the bulb through the back of it over the over the hook where you hang your clothes on, over the little bar, and I hung that there's a forty watt bulb. I got some Reynolds wrap from the from the shower hall, put it on the inside with some tape, and I took some some small Dixie cups that I got from the shower hall, filled it with dirt from my, right outside my hooch, threw it in that and about 13 cups and threw it in there with some water, with some bottled water and those seeds to see if they'd pop. What does that mean when they if they pop? If they grow. I mean, if they okay, buy, so, are they worth it? I mean, are they gotcha. really going to pop? I mean, that's I mean, as a grower, I mean, if those, I mean, you got to make sure the seeds are good, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And was it? Because, I'm because not again, gonna... I, I knew about. I knew how to grow cannabis. <clears throat> and you did that, and they 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 reached or they they met every expectation. Every one of them popped and grew yeah. so tall, trying to reach. Because again, it's such a small light that they to, to try to reach because they stretch right when it's a when it's when the light's very um, small or minimal, they stretch, and <laughs> so that's what they started to do. And so they were stretching, and and so finally. After probably about hitting almost about probably seven, eight inches, my uh, team leader again comes into my room and says, dude, if you don't get rid of those, I'm going to shoot you in the face. I swear to God. <laughs> so I said, okay, man. <laughs> but I knew they were good. So I got rid of them, ripped everything apart, and threw everything away. Okay. But I knew they were good. But how do you know that the cannabis is good? How do you know the right. THC is good? How, whatever, right? I mean, I'm not going to go on because there's no such thing as, you know, THC can be through the roof, but it can still be crap. Mm-hmm. But yeah. how do you know that the plan is good? How do you know that that is good? So there's another epiphany, right? So so remember, I I separated the males and the females, and so the and so I went home on leave for a little bit. I went home for a month, uh, and for 28 days, and I was gonna take the seeds home, but I was so scared that I didn't have a good plan, so I didn't take them home. So I went back to Afghanistan for another three or four months. And trying to figure out what what am I going to do with these things? Are they really worth it? Well, during that time, so it was 2000, going on 2013, it was in the winter. And it was me, my buddy Mike, and uh, my buddy uh, Greg uh, Dixon. And um, um, and we were, um, and my buddy Matt, not Greg, but Matt. So three of us sitting in this hooch. And Matt, Matt was our driver, and he had really bad legs, very bold-legged, because he was messed up in the knees and shot a few times. So... And so this is in the middle of winter, 2012, we're in Afghanistan and we've been contract first. We were military, we we're all special forces. And now we're, uh, now we've been working as contractors in, in Iraq, Afghanistan for a minimum of 10 years, if not more. Mm-hmm. The other guys probably 12, 13, 14 years. Okay. So we're all pretty haggard. We're beat up. You know, we've been through divorces. We watched our families grow up on Skype and through email and through text. 
and our kids, you know, and lost connection to the world. And we don't understand the changes that are happening at home. And, but we're hurting, you know, and we're just trying to do our job. And we're up in the mountains in Afghanistan and we're all just, you know, going through what we're going through. And one day my, my team leader finally decides, you know what, man, um, you know, it, it was just a, one of those conversations. And he's like, hey, where's that, where's that weed, man? Where's that, that weed that you hit, you know, a few months ago? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's way out. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, why don't you go get it? Fuck it. Let's do it. You want to smoke some weed in Afghanistan? <laughs> yeah. All right, dude. Fuck it. So I went and found it. It's still there. Brought it back. And we went to the town hall, found a Granny Smith apple. I made a little homemade bong out of it. Never knew how. I just tried to figure it out. Put a little one of those little wire brushes in there as a, as a filter, and it was horrible. And we went out, and it was in the middle of the night, and we're at in in there's snow on the ground, probably a good probably foot, and then we have this burn barrel growing on. It's burning stuff like always, and we're by the um and we're hiding between the burn barrel and the um and the big um uh, sand or the uh, sandbag wall, right? And it's because we don't want the one eye to see us, because one eye has our has our infrared, and then you can see us lighting up. So we're trying to hide between that and that. And so we're lighting up and trying to smoking this weed and, um, you know, and swallowing half of it, you know, and just, you know, choking our brains out. And, but we finally, you know, do what we do. And we go back and sit in my buddy's room and we're hanging out in there for a little bit. And after about maybe 10, 12, 15 minutes, you know, my buddy Mike's on the, on the hanging out on his bed. And then my buddy Matt with the messed up legs is sitting in his chair, this rolling chair. And I'm sitting in another chair. We're kind of bullshitting a little bit. And, Matt kind of goes to stand up and the chair slips and out of his, out of underneath him and he falls on the floor. And so of course I'm laughing at him, you know, the normal laugh and Matt looks up at me and I'm like, dude, are you okay? Cause I know, cause as a medic, I know his knees are bad. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, dude, are you really okay? You know, as Matt, as Mike's laughing his butt up and, and he looks up at me with the biggest grin on his face and he says, dude, he goes, I can't feel the fucking thing. <laughs> and I said, what? And so I look over at my buddy Mike on the on the bed, and he's kind of he's laying on his side, you know, he's got his head in his in his hand, you know, like, and, he, and he's like, dude, he goes, I feel like I'm floating on air right now. Mm-hmm. And I say, what? And so all of a sudden, everything hit me, and it went from my knee, it kind of went from my toes and my knees, and then went right up into my face, and then into my tongue, and my tongue got numb, like like weird numb. And I was like, holy shit! And I just bursted out laughing my ass off. And Matt started laughing and Mike started laughing and we were like, holy shit. And we just, so Matt, he gets up and, you know, we get some water and we hang out. And here we are, three guys that are haggard as fuck. Been through what we've been through. Mm-hmm. And we are laughing. We are, and we are not remembering about all the shit that happened behind us and our lives and, and the war that we're in and and the families that we've left behind or that, that's missing us and the shit we got to look at tomorrow and the crap we got to deal with tomorrow, you know, and our pain in our legs and our knees and our back and our neck and our heads are, are not there. Yeah. And we realize that. And so we sat there for hours just all night long, just bullshitting and talking and just having the best time, not even remembering exactly where we are, what was going on. And, we, and then and for some reason I had this, my third epiphany as a medic and I realized, holy shit, if this isn't medicine, then I'm not a medic. <laughs> How the fuck do I get this one? <laughs> so it's a, it's a, you know, 
trying it out to be like, though this this is this is the real deal. This is worth it. And 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 that wasn't like one of those. Okay, I haven't had it in a minute, so I was you know my tolerance levels low, kind of a thing. That was like, this is the shit off the top like that. Yeah, I've smoked before. So when I was growing in 08, right, I started growing in 08, 09. And yeah. so I was diving into all the great, you know, like like in being in Michigan, DJ Short and Blueberry was coming out. Really, it was huge. Mm-hmm. So I was huge in the Blueberry and the Bubblicious and all that kind of stuff and the train wreck and the, and the Ghost Train Haze and the green, all the good old stuff. Like, not I would say old, but in that era, you know, I was huge into it. So I was smoking weed and I was enjoying it. And it was, re- and it was taking away the pain of my rack experience and all the medic shit that I've been through and all my childhood crap that I went through, it was really supporting my life in a really wonderful way at the time. So I already had a good understanding of cannabis. A lot of people, they don't quite understand um, the like why people even go to the use of cannabis for, for anything. A lot of people are still stuck in those old ways. Like it's just a drug that, you know, because it's schedule whatever that we can, should not be doing it. And it's just so bad and it makes you dumb and all this kind of stuff. But no, man, the benefits, they're incredible. Like me personally, I've suffered, I suffer from PTSD and depression and I have a bunch of medication to take, but man, this cannabis is a, is a game changer for me personally, because I just feel better about everything overall. And I'm not saying, oh, because I'm high. No, 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 no. I can move. These My knees aren't stopping me from being able to run and do the things that I like to do with my son. Um, I'm not a sitting around just bummed out about everything because it's so easy to fall into that, right? You guys, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, it's, it's simple, but you know, to have that little bit of escape every now and then with that cannabis man. And yeah, the fact that you that, found man. some of the, and the fact that you found yeah. some of the craziest stuff, period. But tell us a little bit more about the, the continuing the journey. The, the third epiphany was, Hey, this is a medication. Uh, what do you yeah, do now? So, I mean, yeah. So I, so I knew where it was growing and I knew how kind of how it was growing and that there was love being put into it. Um, I knew that it, the seeds were good and viable and they would grow. And I knew that it smoked good and that it put me in a position in my life that I'll have a memory that will last with me forever. Mm. And it changed my life in the middle of Afghanistan. We were smoking Afghan wheat. I mean, how, how many people can say that? Right. So it's yeah, pretty right. cool. And, uh, and, and so I realized that I have to get these seeds home. And so that's what I did. And so I found a way to bring them home and, uh, and that's what I did. And when I landed uh, at home in 2013, 14, um, you know, I came home with a lot of PTSD, a lot of pain, a lot of, um, anger, you know, home wasn't the way it was. It used to be people weren't the way they used to be. Um, everyone in my life wasn't there. And so it just, you know, like a lot of soldiers, when they come home from combat and from being home, especially me, I mean, you know, a lot of guys, I mean, you know, I mean, seven, you know, eight, almost eight years, eight years is a long time, you know, but then there are people that did it 10, 12 plus years. So, but, but being away from that long, um, and, and it just, home wasn't different. 
people were different. You know, I expected things to be one way. They were a different way. I expected people to, 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 to even look at me one way or they looked at me a different way or a hundred different ways. So I couldn't make sense of anything. Mm-hmm. And so I had these seeds and a complete confusion of the world and a hate because as a contractor, as a medic, I mean, I, I can go into a lot of detail on that, but you know, I was very close to a lot of the VIPs that we worked with. So I went to a lot of secret meetings. You know, I knew a lot of things that I shouldn't know. So for me, when I came home, I had a lot of too much in my head and, and, and too much um, and, and just uh, too little of, of uh, understanding and support. I mean, you, you, you had a lot of supporters. Think about this. You had a lot of support as a military person, right? And when you're in the military and you get out and you come home, especially from war, you have a lot of support. Mm-hmm. Well, what do contractors have? Yeah, I mean, that's it. Nothing. That's it. That's Think it. about that. Yeah. And they're still like, they're still military, but yeah. but but they spend time as a contractor over there. It's like, oh, well, you made this much money and doing this and doing that, but I still saw the same thing. I went through a lot of shit. In fact, I went through a lot more shit than what you can understand. So, you know, so so I have a lot of connection not only with the first responder in the military, but also with the contracting world. You know, in that sense. Um, but I had these seeds, and I went in my, and of course, going through a second divorce, you know, I was never the same person when I came home, and I can never blame my wife for, for not wanting to, to be with me. I was totally different, and so when I came home, um, we got a divorce, and I decided to buy 34 acres in uh, the thumb of Michigan, and I hid myself for two years, and I pushed every single person away in my life. I mean, literally. So... You know, and, and and I'm saying that because, and I'm saying that with such um, strength because I know a lot of guys, a lot of people have done that. They right. come home and they isolate themselves. I did the same thing. I couldn't stand that anyone. I just couldn't connect with anyone. So instead of well, if I can't connect with anyone, then I'd rather just push them away mm-hmm. yeah. because I can control that. So I decided to push everyone away. So I did that. But I had these seeds, and I had, and, and there's another story, guys, you don't know, but my buddy Brian Hershey, who was a contractor buddy with me, and when he came home, and he, and, and he had some issues with the VA, and he tried to ask the VA for help, and they uh, ended up pushing him away, and so he found um, help through trying to find oxy for his pain, but he ended up having a, an allergic reaction to it, and the oxy killed him. Um, so, and there's that, and that's in my book too. So I, I really hit on that as well because I'm very pissed off. I mean, in that time I was very upset with the VA for that reason. Right. So for me, it was, you know, I had this reason to grow these seeds. I wanted to see, Hey, if this is really medicine, you know, if this is really could save somebody from PTS or any other, you know, the other disabilities from that, from war, um, you know, keep them from taking opioids, keep them from this or that, then maybe I should do something with it. And, and why did, and I risked everything to bring them home. So here I am by myself on 34 acres. And so I spent the next two years um, pheno hunting through these seeds. Not all of them, because I brought home enough, but I pheno hunted through plenty, probably about almost 300. And um, and then that's kind of where my, my third journey or whatever journey you want to start, say it started again was when I came home. I spent those two years going through those seeds and, and hiding myself through Michigan. But I also, um, uh, in the especially through the winter, um, and trying to drink myself to death at the same time. I mean to death. Okay. I dove so much into alcohol because we, dr- we drank overseas. I mean, a lot of military drank overseas, but a lot of contractors did too. A lot we did. 
you know, we had, we dealt with, we dealt with our shit in our own ways, but that's how we, a lot of times that's how we did it. And there's a lot of stories in that too. But when, uh, but when I came home, I tried to drink myself to death. And so that's when I decided that, that I'm trying to do these seeds and drinking myself to death and I needed therapy. And, and so I went to my computer and started writing. I don't know why, don't ask me why, but I just started writing. And I started writing how I felt um, because I was by myself. Hmm. And so I, and I didn't reach out. And so instead of reaching out, I started to write. And the more I wrote, the more I realized that there's something here. And so I kind of, I put my story out there a little bit. And then there was a person out there um, that reached back that's a, a, a ghost editor and said, you have an amazing story and I want to help edit it, your story and get it out there. And so I spent a pretty penny to help work with this ghost writer, not ghost writer, this ghost editor. Um, and we, I wrote my book. And so over the next year and a half, I, or year and a half, I wrote my book, put it together, edited it, did a cover and self-published it all with my money. Not because I'm trying to make money at it at all. I did it for therapy to get it out there. But then I realized it, and she talked me into it. She said, Hey, if this is, if this PTS is about your childhood, about your military, about everything you went through, what cannabis did for you, then you need to tell the people because you can connect with them and you can help them too. And as a medic, you've been doing that for a long time. So why stop now? Right. And so then, so that's what I decided to do. So I, I did that and I decided to write the book and just, and I wrote a novel. I actually wrote like 180,000 plus words, but she said, you're in the cannabis industry. Don't hand out novels, hand out, you know, small, you know, book, uh, uh, book, uh, paperbacks, you know, that you can hand out and it's easier to market and people are understand it easier and connect with it easier. And I said, you know, you're right. And so I took a lot of it out and kept it as a small paperback book. Yeah. So there's a lot that uh... I didn't put in there. Good, good people on your team giving you good advice there. Yeah, I listen. No, I listen. I know that. I'm definitely, I'm never the smartest person in the room if I'm not alone. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. That's what I always tell myself. Yeah. <clears throat> I see there's a and kind of, I mean, kind of an interesting parallel between, you know, you sitting down and writing that book and Tyree and I getting together and starting this whole podcast because ours, it kind of started for, for similar reasons. Um, it's been long drawn out. We didn't jump, you know, straight to it, but like we, you know, we had talked about writing something about um, our experiences as just, you know, regular infantrymen deployed to Iraq, uh, the beginning you know, early stages of GWAT. Um, but, you know, we're lazy and terrible writers. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and then sometime last year, he's like, you know, like, what about a podcast? And then later on, we can just take all of our stories because that's what was the plan. We we're going to, you know, interview a lot of folks from our unit, talk to them, get the bigger picture, and then, you know, have a have the, the book published that way. But then, you know, podcasting kind of makes it a lot easier because, you know, it's obviously it's all recorded and it's in the person's own words, like literally their own words. And and uh, we're able to kind of develop from there. But a lot of it had to do with, you know, um, the, the show's called Before I Forget because, you know, as you, as you move further away from an event, the memories have become hazier and hazier. Um, so we wanted to be able to, like, put that stuff out on record. But also to kind of, was what we kind of found by accident, is that, you know, in talking about our experiences and the things that bothered us and PTSD and so on, that uh, listeners were like, we, we didn't know that we could even talk about this kind of stuff. We didn't know that we could open up about this stuff. Um, and so a lot of these folks that have reached out to us have said like, you know, hearing us go on about it 
is helping them, you know, open up about it, which is, you know, in turn helping them get better about, you know, how they perceive their events or how they process, you know, things and deal with having PTSD, whatever. And I don't know if it's been mentioned to you at all uh, prior to, but like, that's part of the reason why, um, knowing what you do and, and how you got to, you know, to where you are today, that's kind of why, um, we definitely want your, your story to be on our shows because you have something that can help. You have knowledge of something that can help and it's not new knowledge. Um, I don't think that's been said like it's not new knowledge, right? Like there's been cultures throughout history that have utilized um, this particular plant for, for things like this, you know Um, it's like you said, when you're up in Afghanistan, you're like, well, this is medicine. You know, people long before us knew that this was medicine and, you know, but like you're, you're working with it in a very specific way um, dealing with, you know, pain and trauma and PTSD and things, things of that nature. And, uh, and so like your story kind of like, it just ties directly into like one of our, you know, I guess many missions or goals with this, with this whole show. And, uh, yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. And I say all this, I'm still in the military, so I, I don't smoke, but, um, super jealous of all you folks that can. (laughs) That's funny. That's okay, man. I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is. And and every, your life is a chapter, right? You know, and sometimes you don't know when you're, when you're ending one and starting another Mm -hmm. until after Mm -hmm. it. And then you're like, holy shit, I just started a new chapter in my life. So you're just in a chapter, bro, you know, and you've got so many more to write. So don't, don't, you know, and you know that, but, but you're interesting. And and I'm going to give you guys a little insight, uh, a personal perspective um, that, that I've said, because I hear people a lot say medicinal recreational, right? Um, and I don't care what the government says. I don't from cannabis. Um, you know, I, I have my views on that, but, um, you know, there, what's the difference between recreational and medicinal? Okay. Well, medicinals, you take it for a medicinal reason. People take it for recreational. Well, what do they do at recreation? Well, they do it to have fun. So don't you take medicine to feel better, to make your life better? Like St. John's word, like, you know, all the other crap. I mean, don't you take that? to feel better too. So when you take recreational medicine, when you take recreational cannabis to feel better, to have a better time, to increase the way you feel, okay, to put you on another level, to connect you with people, to, you know, whatever it is, then that's in my, from my standpoint, that's medicinal. Right. There's also abuse. And of course there's abuse, but you can abuse food, sugar, you know, anything, you know, you can abuse water, you know, polydipsia, right. uh, you can abuse water. The point is, is that can even if you're taking it recreationally and you're doing it safe, you're doing it safe, then you're, it's still medicinal, but our, but our, but our, but our government and our States want to make it separate because you can make more money at it that way. Right. So that's, that's only my purview and my perspective and my two thought, my two cents on that, on that. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad that we're able to talk about this openly on our show because we really, I really don't not much. You know, I I mention it every now and then, but I want to say a lot of you guys who are who are old school military who have been out for a minute and you are going through your physical ailments right now, and you're living in a state where it's legal or whatever, uh, give it a shot, man. Give it a shot. It ain't gonna hurt. I, I promise. I mean. 
we all know how sometimes they like to give you a bunch of pills to try to take care of those issues that you got, but give it a shot. It, it won't hurt. And, uh, I promise you will have, uh, uh, I don't want I don't even know how to explain it. And you'll, 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 you'll feel better. I promise. So to, not, um, to not, to not know the, the what if, you know, to, is, is a, that's a regret I, I don't want to have. And to really, that's one of the reasons why like people like you are, we, we decided to be those avenues and those for, to help people understand this, because I, there's a, there's a thing in, in California called the Ganges Sommelier course. I don't know if you ever heard of it. They do one class a year. It's held up in Northern California. It's by the biggest professionals in the industry. Okay. Swami and, uh, you know, uh, Pat Soil King and all those guys, right? Northern California. And so I even decided to take that course. It's a one-year course. And I took that because, I wanted to have even a deeper understanding and a deeper knowledge of cannabis um, from their perspective and their understanding as well, because they're even more, even more, uh, you know, been in this industry way longer than I have. So I took that as well. So I'm actually a a certified Ganji sommelier as well. So to, and the reason, another reason why I have that perspective, but to be that, 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 um, that connection, that avenue to help people understand more of what cannabis is all about. And, and to help open their eyes to, you know, really you're focused on THC. Are you kidding me? You know, come on, man. You know, so, you know, we got to wake ourselves up, you know, so we're in the very infancy of this, of this era. And, and, and people like us are just, you know, decided to take the route to, to help people understand more of what there's more to this. And as a medic, you know, I have such an understanding on a medicinal level. Um, and how it, how it reacts in our bodies and our systems and everything else. So I can help people understand that and help people drive towards, um, I don't even want to use the word strains, you know, but different cultivars, different chemotypes and ke- different chemovars that they could really, uh, that could help them, you know. So that's the journey, the new journey that I've taken. And that's the reason why I've, where I'm at now in Northern California. And that's the next chapter in my, in my life, which is maybe the next book that I'm going to write. There you go. You said earlier that uh, you're a little ADHD. Um, how does weed help with that? You know, cannabis, it's well, I, it's cannabis. Don't call it weed. Jesus. I don't know, man. I, I don't smoke weed. I, cannabis. Whatever. I don't. So shut up. I got you. Don't worry. Don't no worry. You know, if you want to, if you want to call it whatever you want to call it, you want to call it that, you know, and, and I'm cool with that. You know, I don't, I hate the word marijuana for some reason because, it was, it was, that's what the government decided to use. And so I can't use that. Weed yeah. is the cool, like urban dictionary way to say it. And that's cool okay. because that's the, like the cool hippie way. Hey man, it's weed, right? So I'm cool with that as well. And cannabis is the professional, you know, straight way to say it. Right. So I'm all with, cool with that. So that's my perspective as well. But what was your question again? So what was the next step? <laughs> well, you said, you said earlier that you're, you're a little ADHD. So how does <clears throat> cannabis help with that or does it oh I mean, yeah <laughs> it's funny right <laughs> it's ironic <laughs> um yeah so uh so I, this is a way I, I i describe this with my ptsd okay so imagine you're sitting in a theater and you're sitting in this third row right in the middle and you're by yourself and you're watching the best movie ever and that movie's your life it's your own life you're watching everything awesome good and bad but the good make you know the bad makes the good even better because it's all the struggles and things. So you're watching this movie of your life, and all of a sudden, in like you know the back row, something happens. All of a sudden, somebody gets shot. 
something, you know, somebody gets hit, somebody gets hurt, you know, somebody, something bad in your life happens and it takes distracts you. And then all of a sudden, you know, a second later, you know, something on the other side of the room and the other side of the theater happens and that takes all over. And then something in the way upper right happens and that takes over. And all of a sudden you have all these different moments happening in all the different parts of the theater and you're missing your entire life right in front of you on the screen because all these distractions are happening that happen in your past and maybe even some distractions from the future. Like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? What, what's going to happen next? You know, things like that because of the past. So because of everything, because of PTS and even ADHD, you have a hard time with grasping on what's happening right now in the moment. And one thing I've learned through a lot of, um, I've been doing, I've read a lot of philosophy in the last seven, eight years of my life. You know, a lot of, you know, Alan Watts, Terrence McKenna, and, you know, um, you know, people like that. So, you know, I really get into that stuff. And so I really believe that, that, you know, for me, um, cannabis helps me find a moment of clarity and centeredness that all those other moments that are happening around me and those distractions become um, blurred and and eventually start to fade away like a wave, you know, kind of a wave kind of builds up, builds up, and then it kind of slowly goes down again. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what happens. And then I become more grounded. And then I can make a decision better because I have that, that half second pause. And so instead of making a decision off the bat, like where you like, you know, where you make a bad decision, like, you know, oh, I wish I would have had that half second pause. That's what it does for me. So it helps me to center myself and give me a pause where I can make better decisions, more clear decisions. That's what cannabis does for me. Yeah, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I'm, I'm listening. To, I'm listening to you tell this, like, to say this, and that. I mean, that that story, like, sitting in a theater, like, and then something's going on, and I, other I, things going on, and there's other things going on. Like, I can absolutely relate to that um, in all the ways, and. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm, so, I'm, I'm going to sit here and kind of ponder that for a second. <laughs> I can relate to everything that's going on here, man. The this, the story, uh, the theater, like, man, you're missing everything because you're so worried about everything else. And the fact that you said, man, you're worried about the future, some shit that ain't even happened yet. That's me in a nutshell, man. Uh, I'm worried that's, about um, shit. You know, Buddhism, I got into Buddhism because, you know, it's not a religion and it's 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 just a philosophy. And. You know, in a wise man of Buddhism said that, that you know, that if you're to, to really to be fearful, okay, um, you know, to, to be fearful and regretful is to is to live in the past, you know, and to live in the future. You know, but if you truly live in the moment in the present, then you find peace because it's the present that's happening and you're in control, you're totally in the moment. And that's what cannabis does for me, like the past, just like in those guys up in the mountains, right? Like when we did the, when we smoked that weed, like the, the, our past, our hurt, our pain went away and the mission and the future went away. We were so focused on the now and where we were in each other. And the connection was so in, in, incredible that everything else didn't matter. We were so in the moment. And that's what Buddhism said that it's pure Zen, right? Zen is being completely in the moment, hundred percent. So can that's why you can have such good conversations on cannabis because you're so in the moment that you're just so intrigued by what's going on between each other that it just, it, it actually develops a better connection. 
that was one of my issues personally. I I can never say that I was ever just in the moment. Cause mm-hmm. oh, there's always some part in the back of my head thinking, what about this? What about that? You didn't do this or we could have done this better or something like that. But I can never just sit in my own silence and just feel it. Or think about, this is what I like to think about parents with kids. Okay. When parents use cannabis and they're with their kids. Okay. They're so in the moment with their kids that they're, that every moment, every second matters. Every moment matters. So imagine every, how many times you've been, I don't know if you have kids or not, but there are so many times where you've been with your kids, but your head is somewhere else that you're not really there. Mm-hmm. And if you're not really there with them, then how fair is that to your kids? Yeah. Right. But with cannabis, when parents use cannabis, they're so involved with their kids, so involved with everything they're doing that every moment lasts and it is more of an impression than, than other times when they're not. I'm not saying use cannabis to be with their kids, but I'm saying is that, that's the feedback I get. And so when, when parents use cannabis for their kids, because of we have those moments, I'm a parent too. Um, it really helps us to have a better, not, I won't, and not just a connection, but a better perspective and understanding um, with your children, you know? And so parents that use cannabis, I completely support that, um, you know, and, and of course in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a safe way. And so I think that that's something that I really support as well because yeah. of that. So, um, we're kind of pressed for time now, but I do want to get into, uh, uh, brothers, Mark, please let's do that. So it took 18 months. So I've been in Michigan for seven, eight years, developing these seeds, developing its genetics brothers, Mark, I, I, I gave up. I've been advocating for a while, uh, patients out of time, cannabis nurses network, many podcasts, things like that. But um, but then I kind of hid myself and decided that maybe that the only route I was going to take was growing this, the seeds on my own and just doing it my own way. When I heard of our brothers, Mark in Northern California and Sonoma County and what they're doing and what their, what their mission is, I reached out to them and said, Hey, this is who I am. And I'm really supportive of what you guys are doing. Can I know more? Um, I met with Jeremy Ferreiras, who is the uh, CEO of brothers, Mark. And I talked with him and uh, he said, Hey, this is what we got going on. We have 172 acres of absolutely beautiful terrar in Northern California and Sonoma County that we're developing premium cannabis. And this is what we're doing for veterans through our veterans cannabis group, our 501C3, who is through Aaron Augustus. And he's supporting that. And together, um, everything that we sell goes in support of that. And our, uh, in that group, our 501, the veterans cannabis group, are now the veterans care group, which is our bigger umbrella. Um, is offering things like more resources to veterans, um, you know, the opportunities for jobs. We're getting veterans jobs in the cannabis industry. We've, I mean, I've only, it's been amazing. I've been with them now for just a month and we've already, I've seen veterans come through here and what we've done for them is amazing. So that's really, so when you hear about veteran groups and say, oh, they're doing this and doing that, but you know, you know, what are they really doing? Like we are really reaching out on a national level to help support veterans. And so when I heard about this and I said, okay, is this really real? How good is your cannabis? You know, I was so biased, right? Like a very biased. And so they brought me out here and I, I brought my family and we came out here, saw the property, saw the farm um, and talked about the brand and what they represent and then tried the cannabis and really scoped it out. And realized, um, and then talking to Aaron Augustus as well and what they're doing in their future, um, I thought, holy cow, this is an organization that is doing it right for veterans. 
I want to be a part of this. And so after 18 months of discussion, they finally got me out here. So I just came out here about a month ago to uh, Sonoma County in Northern California and I'm in, in Cloverdale. And we are on a 172-acre, beautiful, beautiful, hilly, mountainous, hilly, very hilly cannabis grow. Um, and, and we have veterans come in here all the time to, uh, to talk about cannabis, to support them and anything they might need or just want to talk about. And, and that's what we're building from here. And we're a brand that we, I, we truly believe in doing the right thing. And our future is looking really good. That is beautiful, hmm. man. I got tears in my eyes. I'm, I'm not <laughs> even joking, it. man. Yeah. I want to visit. I want to go up there and check I it have- out myself. You're welcome. Anytime, man. Anytime. You know, visit us. Come out here and hang out with us. We just got two big greenhouses going up. Our grower is working his ass off. And, uh, you know, Desmond is, is killing it. And, um, you know, we have some beautiful prop, uh, stuff up north. Uh, we just tapped a well. We just got lucky with a well. And, um, you know, and things are looking really good. So anybody is welcome here. Just contact me at gauge at brothersmark.com. Man, <clears throat> you know I'm going to be hitting you up. <laughs> I hope you do come out here, man. Hang out. Let's see. Let's talk. You know, let's, we'll hang out. Definitely. That's not too far from you. Is it? It's like a couple of, what? Seven well, hours well I'm in, I'm in Northern, Northern Los Angeles. So, so what is it like? Four or five hour drive, five, six, okay. whatever. It don't matter. I got family up there. I go visit the <clears throat> side street, head on up there, see how it's going on the farm. You know, uh, do you know, uh, there's a distribution company in, in LA called Illicana. Do you know about them? Uh, they sound familiar. Um, so I just want to give a shout out. Illicana in LA is our major distribution. They're amazing. It's the reason why we chose them. So they are our biggest distributor, uh, distributor out of LA. So I'm actually going to be down in LA in probably a week or two. So, but, um, either way, hit me up, man. I'd love to hang out and talk some more and I'd love for you to see the farm anytime. Oh man. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm taking eight. I'm going to show up. With the bag. <laughs> you, Tyree, you saying, oh, man. Like, <clears throat> Gage, I don't, I don't know if you know, like, Tyree doesn't really get super excited about a lot of things. Um, so, like, that that was a very giddy uh, yeah, there's old a, man coming out of something. There's a few things that I get excited about. One is this show, because I love working on it. I love talking and having conversations with, with, with people like you. And is the other is that cannabis, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, so there's, it yeah, makes everything yeah, there's, else a little bit easier when uh, when makes bullshit, you can deal with it. And uh, the way you described it was perfect a little bit earlier. And I'm so happy that there's a veteran-ran operation that we can look to if we wanted to get into, not to get into it, but, you know, get do your own research, learn about it. Talk to us. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm here for. You know, I'm here to be your, like a, like a kind of a bridge, mm-hmm. you know, you got questions. Let me think about how many people, like there's so many people that have questions that don't know who to talk to that they can really trust. Yeah. And, and I think that I build enough rapport and enough, you know, uh, understanding of, of what's going on that I can really offer people the best knowledge from what I understand and what I've given my life to. Mm-hmm. to give them the best opportunity to make the right choices in their life, whether, you know, whether it's cannabis or not, but at least they have the right knowledge from someone that they can trust. And I've chosen to take that Avenue. And I think that we're doing it the right way through brothers, Mark, you know, we really are. Yes, you are, man, man, bless you guys from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> All right. 
a uh, so you know uh, at this point of the of the show, it's kind of the uh, the end of the show. We're running out of time, so um, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming onto our show, uh, talking about your product, talking about how you got to where you are now, because not a lot of people want to share those kind of stories, especially with two strangers. We don't really know each other. Uh, we had a con. We had one phone call conversation be- before we uh, started this recording. Um, but to open up to us and to to give us your entire story, well, I'm I'm sure not entire story. There's a bunch of stuff. I'm sure we didn't even scratch the surface. But uh, to comment and you know share that with us and share your thoughts about uh, cannabis and medication and things like that, I truly do appreciate it. I want to thank you uh, again from the bottom of my heart for coming on. You're very welcome. And, and, and for me, you know, from my side, from my perspective, um, you know, I've asked in different podcasts, you know, you know, who are here, who are your heroes, you know, and, and for me, it's, you know, for me and my heroes are the people that are, are really, you know, doing their best to, 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 to develop this network and this connection. You know, first you got your growers that have been doing this forever, right? Your legacy growers that have been fighting everything to make this thing. Cause they've always believed in medicine and you've been, you've got your people that truly want to connect and, and share the knowledge and connect with others. And then that's what you're doing. So for me, you know, that's who I respect. And that's why I'm doing this podcast is because I wanted to support people like you guys that are, they really believe in doing the right thing, and uh, and I respect that. So uh, the, the 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 feelings are mutual, absolutely. Thank you, man. definitely appreciate it, man, for sure. Uh, so, folks listening, um, <clears throat> Brothers Mark, right? The website. I'm going to give you that website real quick. It's uh, just brothersmark.com. Okay, um, you can get his book, Strains of War, right? Uh, by R. Gaines, uh, Gage Amsler, and. Uh, any other any other uh, socials or, or things that you need to put out there? No, I actually I've kept it simple. You know, I, I put the yeah. book out there, and every proceed from the book goes directly to the organization. I don't see anything of it, and I put it as as low as possible on Amazon <laughs> that they would allow me, just because. But I didn't put it out there to to try to make money on it. I put it out there to spread the word. Mm-hmm. Um, and if people want to share that, that's awesome. Um, you know, Brothers Mark, we're putting out a lot of new products right now. Um, you know, everything, you know, from, from flour to vapes to, you know, crumble and shatter and all that. And, and it's just premium stuff that we want to definitely get pe- people to, uh, to, to see and, and, and try because this is going to take off like crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and, like and, to, and third, uh, I would definitely third, like to see and try it. I, uh, look at, I just had a, uh, a, a thing with higher, higher, uh, high times and higher profiles. And they put a, uh, uh, article out about me and there's a, what they talked about was the strains that I'm working on myself, which uh, I've been R&Ding these strains for the last seven, eight years, and I've made some hybrids, and I'm getting ready to release these soon um, with support through Brothers Mark and some other uh, Northern California uh, operations. Um, so I will be releasing my own strains um, in the near future. Hmm. As, yeah, I was actually looking at that uh, the article earlier. It came out in February, um, the higher profile uh, uh, the strains of war is all about you in, in, in your story. Um, really cool. Badass pictures on there, by the way. Um, super jealous of the hairline. I am losing my hair. Does, does, <laughs> does canvas help with that? I wish, I, I wish, but honestly, it, it is pure genetics. <laughs> it really man, is. If, 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 man, if somebody, whoever, whoever figures that one out, the, the hair <laughs> right. thing. 
<laughs> hair loss, cannabis for hair loss. Oh my god, I'll, I'll mark that. <laughs> oh my gosh, we, I will get out of the army right now. That's just, a good match. I love it. <laughs> hey, all right, guys. Hey, thanks again, and uh, listeners, thank you for listening to Before I Forget. Uh, please like, listen, share, and subscribe, and let all your friends know about our show. And uh, if you have any questions, hit us up on our website, not our websites, but our uh, our pages at Facebook. the bottom. Yeah, Facebook. We have everything. Facebook. We have Instagram. Hit us up. We'll, we will answer. So thank you for listening to Before I Forget Season 2. And be well and have a good one. Nevertheless, I'm hella fresh, rolling joints like a cigarette. So pass it across the table like ping pong. I'm gone, beating my chest like ping pong. It's alright. Alrighty.